Well, we had to make a little bit of, a, of an adjustment in our schedule because uh, originally when we planned uh, this new series out that we're doing on, on all the world, uh, we had anticipated um, the votes who were coming back uh, from Africa uh, to be present today. And, and basically, uh, it, it unfolded uh, in a way that there was some miscommunication. And uh, Rich and I had had uh, some email exchanges, and, and we'd locked down the date for today. Uh, he being in Africa with internet that is uh, not entirely reliable, a few minutes later sent um, uh, a response back to me that I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't receive uh, saying that we can only make it on the 30th. And so I'm operating on the assumption that we're going to be here on the 23rd. And as it turned out, um, there was a wave of panic last week when I mentioned it. And I had no idea why. And as a result of that, um, I, I, I talked to Rich, and he said, yeah, I don't think the email went through. And so we had, um, we had to do some quick thinking about how we could get those guys up here. And they're going to be leaving um, in, in, in the, in the um, I guess, the late winter. And so before they go, we're going to have them come and uh, speak and share the work that they're doing and pray for them and, and, and send them off again. So I think it's going to work out. All of that to say, you're kind of stuck with me this morning, so I'll try to do the best that I can um, in, in, in sharing what I, what I think we need to share. If you look on the cover of your, of your bulletin, you'll see a picture of the, of the earth. And the reason why we did that was to give you a sense of the places that we are trying to help the gospel to take root in and uh, the places that we're praying for, whether it's uh, people that we know um, through the work that the votes are doing over in Africa or um, also, you know, the work that, we, that, that we're doing with um, the Bulgarians um, and uh, just on and on it goes. So what we would like to do in the course of this series of messages is highlight some of those things. But I think my role today is to give kind of the reason why anybody in their right mind would just basically sell many of their possessions, even their homes, and take whatever goods they can and transport them to a, a strange place on the other side of the planet. And uh, people like the votes, and um, you know, we think of our friend uh, Jonathan, who is the, uh, the, 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 the pilot uh, over there as well, doing exactly that. Uh, myself, my wife and I, uh, still married. Uh, we're going to be uh, going on 29 years um, here in just a little while, a few days. He's like, tell me what day it is. Well, I think it's October 8th. After 29 attempts, I believe I'm getting it right. The key is to not forget on that day. Because I've done that before. I'm still alive. Barely. But as... I remember early on in our marriage, we just had a kid, and then all of a sudden, we're packing everything up into three crates that we shipped off to Africa, thinking that we're going to go there and probably won't be back for a long, long time. But circumstances being as they were, we ended up coming back in a, in a few years. But all of that to say, the idea of the Great Commission has always been in the back of my mind. How is it that we can go and do the things that Jesus instructed his followers to do. And 
And for me, when I read that passage in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, for the first time, I wasn't even going to church yet. And I found it kind of convicting and disturbing all bundled up into one because Jesus is sort of basically summarizing everything that he's been doing for three years in this compact statement. And, and it is the ending of all endings. It is, it is an, an, an incredible summation that is densely packed with such wonderful summaries of everything that he's accomplished while he was here with the disciples. And now he's getting ready to go. It's an ending that um, it just struck me like a bolt of lightning. And endings are kind of interesting in that way. They can be very powerful or they can be very subtle. Um, I, I, I can remember um, various endings in, in, in my life where there were transitions from one thing to another. Whether it is graduating college or seminary or thinking about concluding my ministry in Sullivan and, and coming here. There were elements of endings that um, were, they were, they were packed with all the significance of everything that that whole timeline of experience was about. I remember when I transitioned uh, with your dad and there was an ending of, of his career here as pastor and the pastor who had baptized us both had showed up, Bill Stark. And there was a passing of the baton. And I remember Jack uh, saying something that just sticks with me so well because it resonates so much. And that is, keep your fork. Why? The best is yet to come. And, 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 and it was a way of saying everything that I have done in my career here is a signpost to the thing that is yet to come. And it is so powerful and so rich. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bore you for about a minute and a half with an ending that is from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And you may be checking out already or you may be saying, oh, that's interesting. You see, Beethoven's Ninth, ninth Century was his last big symphony that took him uh, a couple of years to write. And he did some groundbreaking things in that, in that symphony. My wife doesn't even know that I'm intelligent like this about music, but I do know a few things. Um, and, and, and one thing that I'm aware of is that he incorporated uh, singing into that, and so he added uh, a, a poem um, from Joseph Schleier, which was called Ode to Joy. And there was a pastor in 1907 who heard that, and he said, we need to make a hymn out of that. Have you guys ever sang the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee? Well, you know where I'm coming from then. That symphony is so powerful that, that you, you've heard it more times than you realize. And as it, it has four movements in it, and as you think it is getting ready to end, then all of a sudden, Beethoven does this phenomenal ending that's a summation of everything that happened up to that point. I'm not going to go much farther with it than that other than to show you how this played out in, um, in, 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 a, in an interpretation 
of it from Seoul, Korea. So if we can show that, uh, that would be awesome. get your blood pumping I don't know what will and as um, as those guys are are concluding that whole hour-long symphony um, it is just spine tingling but what's kind of fascinating about that is I I, I looked at um, the, the, the sections from uh, the Vienna Symphony and I looked at the sections from the Cleveland Orchestra but the one that was the most compelling interpretation was the one in Seoul, Korea. And what's interesting is how in the backdrop of that song and its placement in different locations over time is how it was adopted as an ending song. It was an end of the year song that the German workers union said every year we're gonna end in a celebration with that song and then bring in the new year. And during World War II, those workers were in Japan in internment camps. And while they were there, at the end of the year, they celebrated that. And the Japanese kind of took note and they said, that's pretty cool. And what they did is they adopted that into their own end-of-year celebration. The very premier of Japan himself declared that it needed to be played as a transitional song from the old year to the new year. And so on that Asian peninsula, it just began to, to spread even across the water a little ways into um, Seoul, South Korea. Now where am I going with all of that? <clears throat> if you look at something like that is so beautiful and so resonant with so many different kinds of people, what Jesus wanted to do was make a declaration that he knew was just like a slowly detonating time bomb. That when people took the substance of everything that he did for three years and they began to live it out, the new reality of everything that Jesus had done began to change how they looked at life, 
how they related to other people, and how they became enthusiastic about sharing the substance of the good news, the gospel. So in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Matthew writes these words in hindsight, reflecting on the effect of what's happened. And before I I, I tell you that, I'll, I'll just tell you what the effect was. In AD 25, there is this Galilean prophet that nobody knows about named Jesus, and nobody could care less. In AD 50, the Romans at the highest level of their organization are saying, we've got some pretty huge issues brewing down there in that little enclave called Palestine, or Israel, or whatever outpost of the Roman Empire label you want to give it. Because Jesus was stirring things up so much in, in, in effect from the good news happening that the book of Acts tells us that as soon as people heard the message of Peter in Acts 2, that literally thousands of people responded. And a little bit later, it became so obvious that the good news of Jesus was disrupting the empire so much that they began, to, they began to initiate all kinds of policies and actions against this little group of people called Christ followers or followers of the way or people that were known as Christians in a place called Antioch. And they're seeing that this little Galilean prophet and his teachings are infecting the whole Mediterranean or Roman Empire. And it is so disturbing that their attention becomes laser-focused on all of the events that are happening in that small region that we call the Holy Land. And it is so disruptive that Jesus said when he was teaching in Matthew on a mount, one of the mounts, the Mount of Olivet, he gave a discourse and he said, not very long from now, Everything that you see is going to be turned upside down. All the sacred institutions, they're going to be destroyed. Every person who is not aligned with the things of God will feel, feel the hellish impact of this impending apocalypse. And they had no idea what he was talking about. Because on that mount, he was saying something significant that only made sense later on. And it was that in 70 AD, Jerusalem... And the Jewish way of life as they knew it would be destroyed. And out of that would expand something that would begin to migrate into every part of the Roman Empire. called Christianity. And at first, the Roman Emperor Nero would take the Christians and he would, well, he would put them on display. Like he would have these Vast and, and, and just over-the-top galas. And when they would go on into the evening, he would attach a Christian to a post and light them on fire. And so he would light the event with the lives of these Christians who would say, we'll do it because we have something inside of us, this change where life and death don't even matter anymore. And their witness, instead of being snuffed out, became 
so effective that people started taking notice. When people in, in, in different Roman outposts were attending to their families and the family member became no longer useful, a lot of times they would just abandon them. Whether you had a sick or an infirm family member, if you had grandparents that could no longer function, if you had kids that you didn't want, they would just discard them. And these Christians would come along and they would take them in and they would take care of them. And they would provide health care of all things for neighbors who really couldn't get any help from any other source. And there was something that came alive in the lives of the people who had brought Jesus into their world. So much so that by 400 AD, the Roman Empire, with wonderful people like Nero and Caligula, was now fully Christian. How did that happen? Well, when we read these words, how that happened was this slowly detonating time bomb, which was the beautiful ending that needed to be shared with everybody and interpreted into the lives of everybody who would hear it, began to take hold. And so there are five mountains in the book of Matthew that Matthew says important things happened on. One of them was the first one that Jesus was tempted on. The second one was the the mountain that Jesus gave that incredible sermon on the mount from. The third one was the place where Moses and Elijah showed up and it just blew the minds of the disciples away. And the fourth one is where he's telling with very sober expressions the bad things that are going to happen in about 40 years. And the fifth one is this one. And so we read these words on this mount. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Here's their dilemma. They've been taught their whole lives. You don't worship anyone. You don't worship idols. You don't worship things other than the God who says, I am. The unseen God who is in, represented in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And Jesus presented himself on this mount and he said, you can worship me. But it wasn't out of an arrogant pretension that said, you can worship me because you know who I am. But rather, you can worship me because you've seen for three years how I've obeyed my Father and served Him and served you. How I was misunderstood. How I was ridiculed. How I was persecuted by the religious leaders of all people. You've seen it. And at every turn, I was praying for you. I don't know about you, but that's one of the reasons why I have no problem worshiping Jesus. But I can also relate to the ones who doubt. Because I'm, I'm surrounded by people who doubt. Not necessarily here, but out there. I hear all kinds of things. Well, he was a good teacher, or that's all just a bunch of made-up stuff. And everything in between. But it's mostly 
I just, I just can't bring myself to say, I want to follow Jesus. And I so badly want to take that doubt, which for the time being is their only safe place. It's the only thing that they can trust is at least I know I can be skeptical and that'll never let me down to a place where they can now say, my safe place is him, Jesus. Because I've seen three years of his level of trustworthiness and I've seen how much he's accomplished and what he's done on both the ground level and the levels unseen. And so the disciples were just trying to snap all the Legos together in their head so they can make sense of what just happened. And so Jesus says, here's what happened. Gather on this mountain and I'm going to tell you what it all means. And so when they saw him, they worshipped him because some had already snapped the Legos together. Others were still trying to figure, out, figure it out. Then we, then we read these words uh, coming up in the next, uh, next part. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And for us, that may not mean a whole lot, but if you lived in that place and time, you knew that there was a lot of question about who's in charge. You see, the Jewish people had always had this sense from the time of Moses that God is in charge and that if the authority persona in their lives that they, that, that, that they, they were required to follow was that God, then they would follow that God. But they discovered that there were other authorities that kept beating them up. Not only was it the Egyptians, then the Medes, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and other people just kept defeating them and saying, we're in charge, you're not, and your God is not. And as we read the scriptures, you find that in the backdrop of some of those very powerful nations and the leaders that, stand, that sit on the throne are even demonic forces at work. You see, when Jesus came on the scene, there were two levels that he was dealing with. The first one was just the ground level where we see these things that have to do with how we live our lives as godly people, how we worship, the rituals that we do, the ways that we interact with the word, and all of those means by which we express our, our lives as devoted followers of God. And then there's the unseen level. And you know, on the first mount that Jesus uh, went to, as Matthew describes it, we read about an encounter that Jesus had with the one who said, actually, I'm in authority. So in Matthew 4, uh, we read these words. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It was a definitive statement that said, I have allegiance to only one and it is, it is the great I am. It is the, the father of all. And at one point in time, the father of all had given authority to 
for those made in his image and likeness. You maybe have seen this chart before, but if you look at the flow of how authority works in the Bible, this is essentially how it, how it works. When God, before the creation of the world, um, established the pecking order, he said there's me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's the archangels, and then there's the angels. And then after creation, God had declared us the ones who would bear his image here on earth and reflect that in a responsible way where, where he outsources his sovereignty into our lives so that we take care of it. But the problem was we didn't quite go along with it. But in that pecking order for just a moment, it was God and humans and then the archangels and then, well... There's one called Lucifer who's the, one of the five archangels that are listed in Jewish literature. And he had a different agenda because he did not like this. He didn't like this organizational chart. He said, I want to be in authority. And he was so charming and persuasive that he, he, he took one third of the angels of heaven down with him to... to to run a, a subversion against everything God had done. And strategically, they started with the ones who were given authority, and that was us. And so when the devil came up to Eve and he said to her, surely God didn't say, meaning surely God's authority isn't worth obeying. And they said, well, what do you got to say? And he said what he had to say, and they followed him. But they didn't realize that in, in, in the laws of the cosmos that God had put in place, they had been duped into relegating the authority that they had been given to him. And from, the from that moment to the time of Jesus' victory on the cross in the empty tomb, Satan has been the rightful ruler of this world. And we don't think about that too much because we can't see it and we've kind of relegated that to stuff that we don't see or even understand. But I think we can understand this because what happened is the pecking order had changed once again when Jesus once and for all, Paul writes, humbled himself in the form of a man, considering, considering equality with God not something to even take hold of. And as a result of that, God exalted him above every throne. And Paul says that only he is worthy. And so when Jesus came into the lives of the people around him, he's inviting them into a relationship where the authority of the malevolent powers and principalities no longer can rightfully assert itself over our lives. We don't really think about it that way, do we? Because honestly, we don't think much about authority other than, well, you know, I was going to a wedding yesterday, and um, I took a nap, and I woke up at 1.08. The problem was I needed to be at the wedding at 2.30, and it was in Canton. So you see my dilemma? Okay. So I'm thinking, all right, I think I can make it. I get in my car, 
and I'm going through Salem, guess what? Construction. Oh my goodness. So it took me forever just to get back on State Street. And I'm looking at my clock and I'm thinking, I, don't, I hope I make it. And um, then I, I, got, I got to, um, uh, got almost to Alliance. And as I'm going up over the hill, I see not one, but two patrol cars on both sides of the road with lights blurring. And I'm like, what? And then I, I get a little bit closer and I see, and I hate to admit this, a nightmarish scene. I see a wrecked Dodge Challenger. And I'm like, how bad can it get? So then I'm directed to Sebring. And I'm like, holy cow, I'm looking at the time. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So I, 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 I go through Sebring. I get back on 62 and I'm driving to Alliance. I'm thinking, Alliance, great. Well, I don't know who was in charge of controlling the stoplights on Saturday, but my timing in those lights meant that I got to experience every stoplight in a very personal and firsthand way all the way through Alliance. And then I got through Alliance and I'm like, okay, I got just enough time. Don't speed. Because if you get pulled over, you'll never make it. So... For the first time in my life, maybe, I didn't speed. And I paid for it. You know why? Because merging onto the road up ahead about a quarter of a mile was this big truck hauling this big piece of equipment. And there are lights flashing everywhere. And it merges onto the road. And would you know it? There's a police officer right there. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go around him. So I go to go around him, and the car in front of me goes around him, but then the chase vehicle moves over in front of me in the passing lane. I'm like, what? And then the whole thing moves over, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, everything is working against me here. And I'm thinking, don't speed, don't speed. I can't speed. I'm only going 35 miles an hour. And I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my clock on my truck dash, and I'm thinking, okay, I bet you that's fast. And I look at it, and it says 2.07. And I'm like, well, it's probably like 2 o'clock. I look on my phone, and my phone says 2.08. I'm like, Holy cow, all the forces in the universe are conspiring against me. This wedding, this marriage better work. So I get to the venue 10 minutes before showtime. That's notwithstanding the fact that there was no parking. So I thought, I'm going to break a rule here. I just double parked. I just parked in a spot that I could place my truck, ran over to the wedding party, and I'm like, did you miss me? They're like, no, we weren't even thinking about you yet. And I look at all of that and I think, wow, there have to be forces at work in the world that conspire against good things happening. So I'm going through the ceremony and I'm getting ready to pray. Would you know it? For some reason, a jetliner flies right over during the prayer time, didn't it, Brian? I'm like, let's just wait. <laughs> you know, so it seemed like a moment from jeopardy. 
I'm just sitting there. And then finally I get to pray. And everything works out fine. Because Jesus is now in control. I just knew it would work out. And it did. Because no matter what's thrown up against you, if your purpose is right, God will work it together for good. They gave me a wonderful sermon illustration for sure. But beyond that, as I'm looking at this authority, I'm saying, Jesus, why does it matter? It matters because the evil one can attack us all the time, and he will. But he can't get us anymore. So he goes on to say these words. Let's go ahead and move to the next slide. Um, and, 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 and I want to I ask the question about this. Because... When Jesus says, all authority is given to me, then wouldn't you think that we wouldn't have all of the issues that I just described? And on a deeper level, we wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have the, own, or the conflicts that we have even in our own hearts. But Jesus said, I am in charge. And I'm going to continue to express how I'm in charge. Not by just overriding everything and everyone and their wills. I'm going to begin to work through you. Remember praying the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is already happening where? In heaven. You see, God's plan, God seems to outsource a lot of things. And it's almost like as you read the Bible, he's doing everything through other people. Whether it's Moses or whether it's angels who show up as an angel of the Lord. On and on. David writing prophetic words in the Psalms. God even sending his son, Jesus. God seems to take pleasure in involving as many and as much and as many parts of creation as he possibly can. And I think that's by design. Because the more we participate in the things of God, the more they become part of who we are, the more we embody them. You know, I could just come to church and I could preach and I could say, here's all you got to do. Lower your head, and when I say, if you haven't made a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus, raise your hand, and keep your heads lowered, and raise your hand, and, and, and I'll say that, and you want to, and you raise your hand, then it's all good. You've almost totally revolutionized your life, revolutionized your life by just a simple decision that said, I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to go to hell anymore, I want to go to heaven, I'll raise my hand. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I want you to begin to just walk towards me and embody the things that I've done in your life. And what Jesus is trying to do is change us from the inside out. And he's giving us authority to do these things as we do them in his name. Well, I want to move on to um, the, the next verses, if we can, Brian. Go, therefore, and make <clears throat> disciples of all nations, 
So there's three things that we have to do. We baptize them. That is, we put them in the water. And then raise them up. And we say, what just happened here? And if they don't really fully understand, we say, you have just identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And you're a new creation. And you are promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, which enables you to begin from the inside out to become a different person. And then you teach them just a few things, a few little snippets that I've commanded you, a couple of pieces up there on the screen. Just teach them that. Or teach them the whole thing. That's a little tougher, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm used to sound bites. I'm used to little takeaways. Not just learning the whole Bible or the whole story. Yeah, learn the whole story. Because that is your story. That story out there no longer applies because it is, it is being governed by a former power that was in control, that no longer is, that is trying to grasp however it can that power once again and destroy as many people who are made in the image of the one who he rebelled against out there. That story is going on. But in here, know the story and be part of the story. Be like Jesus. So hopefully we teach our kids, teach each other, and we get it in our head. These are the ideas. This is the way of life. He is the person who affects how I live my life out. But here's the best part. I get pretty excited about this stuff. I know you're bored to tears right now, but it is so good. Because it says, and behold, I am with some of you always. If, you know, if, if you speed on the way to the wedding, I'm not with you anymore. If you've sinned, I'm not with you anymore. If you've messed up in some way, I'm not with you. No, he just says, I'm with you always. Now, obviously, if we sin or we speed or we do anything, he's saying, you're going to have to learn to come correct with that because you can't bring that to where we're going. But I am with you. Always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And maybe you hide that in your heart, but I'm saying that to each of you because it's true. So when you leave this place in the middle of the week and you get depressed or you get anxious about something, remember Jesus is with you. And that was the promise from the beginning of the story, wasn't it? Remember the beginning? You know, a young virgin has a child and Matthew talks about it and he says God's coming and in Matthew 1 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us but from the beginning to the end God says I am with you and the good news is I have defeated those forces that have been working against you your whole life. But they're not fully defeated because we haven't fully done our job. And so we send out missionaries to 
share the good news. We leave this building and we see people who are lost around us. And God sends us out from here to share good news. And to bring people into it. And what Jesus is looking at is a global transformation as a result of the sharing of the good news. But he's made us really part of the equation. And so having missionaries come or preaching about the Great Commission, it's not just something tacked on to what we do. It is central to everything that we do. Because the good news is that Emmanuel is with us. Don't you love seeing the Hallelujah Chorus in December? It's kind of whet your appetites for that. Because it's such a beautiful expression of singing and music combined in such a way that hearts beat together for a common end all about everything that I just shared. There's nothing more exciting than the enterprise of the church. Not everybody's called to be a pastor like myself, but I think everybody's called to be a part of that story in some way and to share it. I've just shared it with you. I hope I haven't put you off with the heaviness of it, but quite the contrary. I hope it's pulled you in to the substance of everything that God has done for us. And maybe you're hearing it for the first time and God has been tugging and nudging at your life and saying, I want you to not only believe that I'm a good person or that I'm, I'm God, I want you to invite me into your life. And so we're here to do that. And maybe you're at that point where you need to think about being baptized. And I'm not a mind reader, so I don't know. But if, if you aren't, and you need to take that step, then please just talk to me or one of our people that you're comfortable with about it, and we'll help you with that.